Well, you could tell Jim and Marlon Perkins apart. Jim was always the one doing the dangerous things. While Marlon would look into the camera and says, while Jim is downstream giving the vicious crocodile an enema, I'll, I'll be observing here through these high-powered binoculars. listening to so much pingle the podcast about herpetology field herping and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles join us each week as mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet and now bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone here's your host mike pingleton Hey, 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 two in one day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And here we go with part two of my conversation with Justin Eldon. Now, we did talk about a lot of things in part one, but mostly it was centered on the work Justin does as part of his job with the St. Louis Zoo. And of course, he had to get clearance from the zoo's media arm to participate. I mean, the zoo wants to make sure its people are representing the institution in a proper manner, of course, which is quite understandable. But as you can tell, Justin loves what he does for the zoo. And of course, I have been a lifelong fan, so no problems there. For part two, Justin and I talk about some of the conservation projects he is involved with on his own time. And these involve some of the most beautiful pit vipers on the planet. No kidding. And once again, our conversation wandered into some other places and different corners, but I think you'll follow along just fine. Now, as most of you know, the show notes for this and all other episodes can be found at SoMuchPingle.com, and I have added links to not only the projects Justin is involved with, but there's also some cool t-shirts and other swag that you can order and help support these projects. So here we go. Hi, everyone. I'm sitting in a park in Springfield, Illinois, and I'm talking once again to Justin Eldon. Welcome back to the show, Justin. Thank you again. So this is a two-part show because we talked for uh, over an hour about uh, your work with the zoo and some conservation programs in Armenia and hellbenders and mangshong vipers and all (laughs) kinds of cool stuff. And... The hour went by. My apologies. Once I start talking, I don't shut up. So that's what I want. I want for my guests. Uh, I want. The, I want the fire hose. I'll. <laughs> I'll, I'll point you in a direction, and we just. It, you it just works let well. fly. It works well. So, so now we're back on the on the air again to talk about uh, primarily uh, the project you have going on in Guatemala. Take it away. Tell us what you're doing down there. Yeah. So. Um, and, and this is not a zoo. Yeah. So yeah. So the uh, the, the last project. part was was Justin of my institution. This part is not affiliated with my institution. This is work that I'm doing with uh, colleagues of mine, both here in the states and you know in Guatemala. Um, that is independent of my professional background. So, yeah, but not is, too far apart from it. Yeah, I mean, you you know how it is. There's there's when you're really into this stuff and you do it professionally, like there's 
it's not often that there is a clear distinction between work and pleasure. Like typically they, you know, these things are one and the same to an extent, but like this is an independent project that we have going on. Cool. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's get started on that. So you've got some stuff going on with uh, conservation projects in Guatemala. And uh, tell us more about that then. Yeah. So as if I didn't have, you know, as if I didn't enjoy not having free time as it is, we, me and some of my colleagues here in the U.S. as well as down in Guatemala, we are running an organization called the Highlands and Islands Conservatory. And this is an NGO that is dedicated to herp research and conservation around the globe it's you know still in its very beginning phases and we have a couple little projects here and there uh we're starting some work in jamaica we were supposed to be doing a trip down there to meet with some biologists and country that are working on uh, nuisance crocodile relocations as well as some public outreach stuff for jamaican boas we offered a small grant to a preserve in ecuador um a private preserve that has a lot of really cool species of pit viper on grounds there and our our big project that we have going on is the guatemala pit viper conservation initiative and this project is working with a private preserve ranchito del quetzal um that is in the cloud forests of guatemala it's about two hours or so away from guatemala city and we're working with this preserve and the biologists on site to do a variety of different things. Um, the flagship species for the project is Bothriacus arifer, the yellow blotch palm pit viper. And with the, these guys, we are doing an on-site monitoring program and mark and recapture study um, where we're just trying to get baseline information for these snakes and like how prevalent they are, population trends, you know, just getting the beginning information that is necessary to do any, you know, more detailed projects with them um currently we have 15 animals that are a part of this study um so describe uh both riekas arifer to our audience if you will so if you close i will your... post a picture of one cool awesome but, and yeah uh, we can i can I'll get you a photo one, or you'll give me one or yeah, something. yeah yeah i can and i can give you one of mine but i'll probably give you one from andres who i'll talk about here yeah, in a bit but describe describe the snake yeah so it uh if you close your eyes and just like try to think of the most beautiful snake on the planet that's it um <laughs> it's so it is it's a palm pit viper in the genus Bothriacus, which also includes the eyelash vipers that everyone's familiar with right um but the the genus Bothriacus it has a lot of different species, and the one thing they all have in common is they are they, they live in different mountain ranges and they live at you know higher elevations. But the arifer lives at a at one of all the different species they occur at the highest elevation. They can go up to almost uh, eight thousand over eight thousand feet in elevation. Um, only the Nebuestris from the Talmanca Mountains in Costa Rica goes up higher. Than these guys and Nagavirtus that's in Costa Rica too. They go up pretty high also, but these three of the genus go up the highest in elevation and they all live in cloud forests and, you know, beautiful cloud forest pine oak habitat. But uh, it, it's a small species. They rarely, you know, they, they get around two foot as adults, but, you know, finding an adult that's around 18 to 24 inches, that's fairly you know, common with these guys, they can get as big as three foot. I've never seen even photos of a three footer, but they can get pretty big. Um, an arifer in particular, they're this beautiful lime neon green color. 
and they typically have these yellow and black bands and blotches that go along the body. Somewhere between 75 to 90% of our fur will have the black banding, but there are some that have no banding at all, and they're just a bright green throughout the entire body. And those oh, are, wow. they're, they're different looking, but they're, they're really pretty too. And Arifer, they they live in Chiapas in Mexico as well into Guatemala, and they have a very, you know, kind of spotty range. They're, they're a cloud forest specialist. So like as these cloud forests came up and then, you know, mountain ranges receded and whatnot, a lot of these different populations became isolated from one another. And there's, you know, some interesting stuff that may in the future be done to look at the genetics of these things to see if we're looking at different species or if, you know, they, they all are in fact their own species um and as as the common name implied palm pit vipers they spend a lot of time on palm fronds uh and as well as in other places like in the trees and low-hanging you know shrubs and they can be found down on riverbeds all the way up into the high high canopy of trees up in the you know the forest that's on top of the forest and the bromeliads and all these epiphytic plants so where where do you do you see more low or do you see more high so one of the uh, parts of this project has been to get uh, repelling gear and tree climbing gear to the biologists that we're partnered with on this preserve for a variety of different reasons to survey for herps in general and as well as to do work with orchids and bromeliads that are high up in the canopy including a lot of endangered species um, the site manager at the preserve pablo he does a lot with with endangered plant species he has a really amazing little rearing lab where he does a lot of stuff and that's it's it's phenomenal i'm not into plants and i don't know much about plants but it's it's really cool stuff but uh also part of that is to try to find arifer up in the canopy and they are up there but it's just it's so much easier just to walk along trails and stuff and find them and that's how most of these are found is hiking either on the edge of trails or going into the forest and just kind of looking around and finding decent habitat that's near water sources because they, they eat a lot of frogs and they eat a lot of lizards and these things you, you know you find frogs and lizards near streams and springs and whatnot so that's typically how we find them is walking along and finding them in the the undergrowth kind of but you you can find them on the ground too um which is it's weird to think of an arboreal snake but you know they they being on the ground but they don't read the same books that we do you know they'll <laughs> go hang out on logs or rocks or whatever on the ground from time snakes to time don't read well. field guides exactly you're right exactly and put that on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> i like that we have in peru we have uh both three uh, I guess they're back in both rops now. They were uh, Bilinianus. Uh, Bilinianus. Yeah. I guess they're sort of a related snake. They their natural history is similar. Um, those guys are a little lower in elevation. They look kind of similar. They're, they're green, right? Um, but I not, not cut from the same cloth. Yeah, e- exactly. I I mean I I like both rops and the former you know both rheopsis i like those a lot taniata in particular are such amazing snakes those are cool i'd love to see a taniata at some point but uh so how did you get involved with this project so so i have been interested in palm pit vipers basically since i was able to pick up a book about herps and you know see pictures of of specifically arifer um they're they're one of the prettiest snakes their natural history is really cool they're just they're really cool snakes right they've always been one of my favorites and you know there there's a lot of 
negativity that comes from social media and being able to like just get on your phone at any point and you know you know if you use social media to in negative ways to have arguments with people and do dumb stuff like that then like you're going to get out of it what you put in but one nice thing about social media is it is very easy to connect with people all around the world so a while ago i started seeing photos of arifer and a lot of other really cool clod forest uh, and Guatemalan endemic species being posted on some of the herping groups by my friend Andres. And I hit him up immediately and I was like, Hey man, like I, I've, I'm super interested in this stuff and you seem to find them pretty regularly. And I just got to talking to him about this stuff. And, you know, a long time went by when we were talking back and forth, just, you know, talking about herps and talking about what we've got up here, what they've got down there. And then we started kind of talking about collaborations in doing field projects. So the last year, 2019, um, IHS, uh, so the International Herpetology Symposium, which if, if you've never been to an IHS, you should definitely look into it. It is the best herp symposium in the world, in my opinion, because it brings together everybody. It brings together academics, hobbyists, both in the herping community as well as the you know herpetoculture community zoo folks, photographers, every asset and aspect of herpetology is brought together at IHS. Good stuff. Yeah. Everybody's invited. Everybody's involved. Went to my first one in 1982. Yeah. They're, and I mean, the the whole dynamic of them still being just, you know, everyone that is involved in herps can come and present and hang out of these, you know, that's still there. But IHS was in Belize last year. And I'm, I'm on the board for IHS. I'm an officer for the organization. And one of my roles for IHS is putting together a series of talks for young professionals uh, and students and, you know, biologists who are, you know, in their beginning stages of their careers. And I wanted to get Andres to come and present on ARFR. And like, what's the, our, what's Andreas full name? Andres Novales. Andres Novales. Novales. Yeah. And okay. I'll give you a link to his okay. photography he is, it's hilarious because him and I have the same uh, camera and like him and I can like be taking the same photo of the same snake, but like his is infinitely better <laughs> than, than mine. So hmm. he's an amazing photographer, an amazing herper and a, an amazing biologist. I'll, I'll give you the link to his, okay. to his stuff at the end of this. You can post it. Um, so he, I, I wanted him to come present it at IHS and we worked it out to where we would meet up in Guatemala and spend some time talking about collaborative efforts that we could do specifically with Arifer and this private preserve, Franchitos. And then we would make our way to Belize from there to get to the symposium. And that is kind of when this, this brainchild started. Um, I went down there with the equipment to start the program along with like some financial support to, you know, help them get it up and running. And it's, it's been a ride since then. Cool. It's, yeah, and it's cool. just it's growing and growing and growing. And uh, and and my only connection to this really is last fall, I came down to St. Louis because you were having a fundraiser. Yes. For it. Ales and scales, right? Ales for scales. Ales yes. for scales. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, it was kind of you posted a picture of this this green pit viper. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and there's beer. So. Uh, so I came down. It was it was great. You guys had a pretty good turnout. Uh, yeah, at one of the local yeah. breweries. It was a full house. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was pretty great. 
your your zoo folks were there and other other professional peeps were there but all, just a lot of people in general that are involved in the herp community yeah. showed up a little herp love there so that was pretty cool and you raised some money for the effort and yeah. uh i assume you'll keep you'll keep that going uh with more fundraisers and yeah so and and to everyone out there listening mike is downplaying it um mike came and he my idea for this was it was to be like a very tiny herp symposium slash fundraiser in one evening so we had two like talks um and then afterwards we had a auction to raise money for the effort and it was at a local brewery uh urban chestnut brewing company and it was it was a really fun night but mike not only did he come but he presented for me he did a talk about the herps of cuba and it was it was fantastic so Shout out to, to to the pingle behind the pingle. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's funny because I, I at the end I threw in some cool birds, and uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was funny. Uh, I got you know the 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 requisite oohs and ahs from the herpsters in the crowd, but the birds at the end I, I heard <laughs> I heard some other voices I hadn't heard before, like oh my gosh, because I had a Cuban pygmy owl and uh, right and the 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 uh, what is the tiniest bird in the world, the little hummingbird they have there and. And the, really got a, a nice response from uh, my my wife who who's who's a birder. She brought a nice little little group of birders there too. And not to mention there there were some other um, you know folks from different universities and whatnot. B- big birder guys there. So yeah, no, you you hit you hit all of the the I, check I marks. The mark. to, yeah, yeah, everybody was stoked. Cuban trio. Cuban Trogan, Zanzancito, that's what they call it, Zanzan, <laughs> which is very uh, alliterative, right? A Zanzan because of the way the hummingbirds sound. Oh, okay. Sound. So that's cool. Smallest hummingbird in the world. And the Cuban oh. pygmy owls, which are awesome. I, yeah, I um, could imagine. But but anyway, I, I digress. But uh, it was, it was kind of cool, and it, it kind of opened my eyes to um, the fact that we have people like you that are helping local people on the ground in, in various countries around the world get their stuff protected, uh, get their stuff, you know, get their animals studied, get their land set aside, that sort of thing. And so, uh, you have other, fun, you have ongoing fundraisers for that, for that effort. So that, so St. Louis has a couple different herpetology clubs. There's one in particular, the gateway herpetology club that I'm involved in, and they help put that fundraiser together. And they've been super supportive of this project. And w- without them, you know, it would have been hard to get that, that particular fundraiser going and so you know shout out to those guys they're they're amazing uh but like we we so covid kind of made things interesting when you and i first started talking about doing a podcast i was hoping to have another else for scales but do it in october and i was hoping to cash in on the St. Louis is only two hours from LaRue Pine Hills and Snake Road and all the places that, you know, herpers from around the country and around the world to an extent come. I've heard of it. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I was I was hoping to cash in on, you know, to make it to where it wasn't as much of just a local thing to have people from all over come and it be, uh, you know, a whole destination trip to where we you'd come and party at this this fundraiser raise some money for a good cause and then the next morning you know get some food in you in st louis and make your way down to to southern illinois and when we you know back in april or whenever that was that seemed possible but with covid i can't imagine we're going to be able to have another ales for scales for quite i don't some think time. october is going to be good buddy no it's 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 just going so i mean i i'm at this point i'm not even expecting to be able to do 
a live fundraiser until you know late 2021, if not 2022. Hey, but I bought a T-shirt, right? You bought a T-shirt, and that's one of the things that we did to um, help with COVID. So when all the co- so from from the first sales for scales we did, we raised a lot of money, and that money was going to go towards buying equipment for surveying um, not only the canopy but you know the the lowland stuff too. Uh, and a variety of other things that we were including educational stuff. So a big component to this is educational outreach and having the guys from the preserve talk to the local communities, whether it be on site when they come to visit there, because they do a lot of, you know, work with the local kids and stuff or going that's the to only the way you can do this now, e- right? exactly you gotta work with your local it, oh for sure yeah if you have a conservation project and you're not involving you know local biologists local people local villages like you're you're not gonna get anything done you're not gonna get anything done and you know it's it's also this yeah i mean you you cannot get stuff done without the locals that's, you, you got to put a little money in their community for, exactly for sure yeah. for sure yeah. absolutely yeah, so they, they they got jobs they can do for they, you they yeah can, you know, oh yeah and can... and ranchitos it, it runs so one of the cool things about this preserve is yeah tell us a little bit about, about the preserve how big is it and uh, how, how, many, how many people are working on it and that kind of thing so there's a variety of different people that work there from biologists to the manager who is a great friend of mine pablo to people that are guides as well as people that work in the kitchen and it, it has a small series of cabins on grounds too and that's that's where we stay when we go there as we stay in the cabins so there's people that you know take care of those and in in a lot of ways it's 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 its own little entity it's not a huge preserve it's around 30 hectares or so there's a variety of different endangered species of not only herp but you know mammal plant invertebrate all kinds of crazy stuff happening on is it a fairly intact Forest. Yes. Yes. There's parts of it that are virgin rainforest, nice. which is fantastic because as you drive to the preserve, and if you look at the preserve on a satellite image, you will see more, you know, federal protected property nearby, but you'll also see lots of agriculture. And one problem that you, they have is farmers will grow ornamental plants in the cloud forests that are then sent to Europe and Asia and the United States. There's a big market for that. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's so sad because you look at a map, in order for them to grow these things, they do great with the humidity and the climate, but like it's a little too much direct sunlight. So they put these giant black tarps over the tops of these plants. They're not tarps, but like a netting type material. So you'll look at a, at a satellite image and you just see all these big giant black blotches. And it, that's rainforest and cloud forest that has been cut down for them to grow these plants to then export to other countries. And it's, it's a real shame, but I mean, you know, pe- pe- people got to make money. They got to make you, a living. Exactly. So my little brain is sitting here as you're talking and I'm sort of grinding this out. Isn't there a way for them to, to grow these plants in the existing forest with, without making this artificial, uh, there very well condition? could be, there very well could be. Um, I don't know if you would get the numbers, that you would get otherwise, and I don't know if there's something with the tree canopy or something that to, that makes it to where these these nets work great, but like the canopy doesn't. I really don't know the extent. I see of that, unfortunately. You know, I, I I'm sure that the yield of plants is greater when you don't have a bunch of trees and all the other plants in the way. That very well may have something to do with it too. So um, you guys are working on keeping this preserve going. Yes. 
um, figuring out what what exactly you have there. Yes. And uh, trying to get the local people involved and uh, integrated and embedded so that they have a stake in it too. Is that a, a fair? Yeah, assessment? that's that's a good overall, you know, view of what we're doing. It started as just doing the herp stuff and doing some public outreach for the local communities. Um, you know, doing the the research projects and whatnot, and then that outreach. The fundraiser we had last year, we made enough money to where we we got them a lot of equipment. And we were going to actually build a small kind of a combination between a serpentarium, vivarium, and a laboratory where, you know, animals could be processed inside. Um, and then we could have exhibits for the public to come see, you know, because it's, it's one thing to show photos of some of these animals, but to have live ones in at the facility that, you know, that's that's what really makes that connection, you know, whether it be here in the United States or in Europe or in Guatemala, like when kids see a live snake, like it does something, you know, it did something to me, I'm sure it did something sure. to you. I, but, I like you bring up the fact that, I mean, it's one thing to show these things to the local guy, but showing it to his kids. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, we're, that's right. the and, ticket. And the hope is to, you know, educate the, the local elders on this stuff, too. But the kids, that's that's the that's the real important thing. Because if you can convince the kid that, oh, you know, that snake's not scary if you just leave it alone, that snake can be scary if you just, you know, stay away from it. That's where we're really going to make the impact. And just like here in the United States where people don't like snakes, people don't like snakes in Guatemala either. So changing these, well, I'm, these, cha I'm, these ideas is I've is become crucial. this huge proponent of getting the kids educated. Exactly. For sure. Because... If Steve Irwin taught us nothing, <laughs> he taught us that you can you can grab up the hearts and minds of an entire generation of kids, and at the least, they're not afraid of these things and they appreciate them. For sure, exactly. At the most, they go to school and become biologists. Exactly, and yeah, that absolutely. How many? I can't tell you how many biologists I know. That are Irwin kids or yeah. Carwin, oh, yeah, or yeah, Cor yeah. Jeff Carwin kids. Yeah, for sure. And and that's where they learned. And, and they, they learned that those, I mean, they learned some crazy things too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but they also learned conservation. Right. And, exactly. And, uh, you know, Steve, what did Steve Irwin do at the end of the gig when, when he's got the, whatever it is he's being foolish with? What did he do? He lets it go. He put it back. He, yeah. Yep. He and puts so, it back. So you have a whole generation of kids are like, yeah, this is cool. And we put it right back where it yeah, lives. Yeah. It, and, uh, and so that, trying to take that whole, idea and transfer it to a place where they don't know about Steve Irwin, but and plug it into their local community, you, you got to go with the kids. Right. Because they're the ones that are going to find that to be a natural exactly. thing, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Off my soapbox now. Yeah. See, I watched Steve Irwin when I was a kid, but Mark O'Shea was always like the... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love Mark O'Shea. I got to meet him a year or two, two, two or three years ago, and he was the most down-to-earth guy meeting him was so cool like i was trying so hard to be a cool kid like oh yeah i, I you know and like not totally fanboy and he was at one point he was like yeah you you're probably too young to know me but i had a tv show back in the day and i was like no i i very clearly know who you are and yeah watching your show helped me get into this stuff and blah 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 and he yeah he was amazing but he yeah no a great show huh yeah it's such a great show i and, i liked and, his show because Sometimes he didn't find anything. Exactly. His show was herping the TV show. He would he would say, okay, we're in, you know, coastal Brazil, and we're going to look for Lachesis muterambiata, and then guess what? He didn't find it. <laughs> he found some other cool stuff, but yeah. it was, you know, it wasn't, 
it was very much like this is what it's like to do field work this is what it's like to go herping and yeah sometimes he didn't find stuff and it was entertaining nonetheless and he yeah. found a lot of cool stuff yeah i've never met mark oh i'd love to have him on a show wouldn't that be great um, he, might, he he likes to do stuff yeah. like the next time he's in the states if you you might be able to make it happen maybe yeah. he said some nice stuff about uh my book, the field herping guide. I, I yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was and right. uh, yeah. and I also uh, I also got contacted for uh, pictures for his big uh, that big snakes. Oh, that's book. awesome! Very cool. And uh, yeah. so I got to contribute a number of pictures. But guess what? One of my snakes is on the cover. That's one of yours. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Illaquites, okay. the false coral snake, is on the cover. That's of the book. big crazy. surprise to me. And yeah. uh, so I have a copy of it. No idea. I don't have that's a signed so cool. copy, of it, but I do have a copy yeah, of the book yeah. that I got for my for my pains. And uh, to I got it in the mail and opened it up, and it's like, <laughs> I'm on the cover. <laughs> Holy cow! So I'd love I'd love amazing. to meet Mark someday and uh, thank him and uh, maybe get him to sign my book. But uh, what a, what a guy! Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah. So we we kind of digress here in our fanboy moment <laughs> but yeah we but we have these impacts on on kids and yeah. we were we had these people that impacted us as well you a kid me a younger man but uh you've got to kind of figure out how to do that with kids who maybe don't have internet exactly uh, how do you win them over how do you exactly. what, what's your plan down there what do you what do you do to get the kids so as as far as that so from the Benefit we did last year and then some other fundraising stuff we did and some grants that we were able to get. Um, we, along with having the, the exhibition facility that I, I can talk more about what happened with that after this, but uh, along with having like the exhibition and then like going to the communities and having the kid, the classrooms come to the place. I, when I was a kid, like I basically, I try to think of stuff like, okay, when I was a kid, what got me into this? What got me excited? And I remember I was, I was in maybe first or second grade and some, you know, the, the snake guy came to school and he showed the snakes off. Right. And then he brought like little toy snakes and he gave one to everybody. So like, I stole that 1000%. <laughs> so oh. like we, we sent a bunch of toys, snakes and nice. toy lizards and stuff down there. Nice. Um, and then like some different, like, Arts and crafts activities like draw a snake, uh, you know, or draw a Quetzal because Quetzal's kind of the the big species that they have going there for their ecotourism from birders yeah. and whatnot, you know, things like that too. But I, I guess uh, COVID's kind of derailed all these plans you had. Yeah. So at the beginning of 2020, we had a really nice, you know, objective list for what we were going to do and how we were going to you know, make things work, but you know, COVID, you know, has ruined a lot of people's plans and a lot of people's lives. So, I mean, we're, we're grateful that it's, you know, so far it's just been plans. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's as much as you can ask for with all this stuff going on. A lot of people are having a really hard time with it, but all the money that we had raised initially through the benefit that you went to and grants and outreach and stuff or outreach, like fundraising, that has been used rather than to build a small facility. We were able to buy the equipment before everything went down that was necessary for them. But uh, the the facility, the little lab, that's on hold for now. The money that we had has gone directly to helping the preserve stay up and running and hire and 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 pay their staff while this is all. So how many folks, going on? how many folks uh, are on the preserve that work there and? 
it, it fluctuates and I don't know the, the nuts and bolts of like the, how many biologists do you have down there? There's a, there's two or three, two or three, two or three. And right now there's, there's three because we're actually along with helping the preserve stay running with all of this. Um, cause they're taking the, the lockdown very seriously. You can't e- you cannot leave your local community unless you have a permit from the government saying and a that darn you, good reason. Exactly. So we're helping. So, and because of that, they're not getting a lot of the local traffic from the capital of people that would come out for weekend getaways and, you know, definitely not getting tourists from no the, bird watchers. Yeah. They get a lot of European bird watchers that come to see the Quetzal there. Um, not as many Americans, you know, Yanks like to go down there. Um, but we're, that's something that we're hoping to change. I'll, I'll talk about ecotourism at some point too. But, uh, oh, goody. Yeah. 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 That, that's just my game. <laughs> <laughs> but, so all the money that we had raised went to helping the preserve stay open. And I started, you know, thinking, 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 okay, what can we do to get some more money down there during all this? You know, the preserve itself had a GoFundMe going to where they were taking donations. That went fairly well. And I wanted to, to help with that as much as I could too. So we started selling t-shirts. Um, the first one that went out, it has a Mayan snake on it. And then on the back, it just says Highlands and Islands, Guatemala Palm Pit Viper Conservation Initiative. And the shirt's kind of expensive. It's 30 bucks, but the majority of that cost goes directly to the preserve to help them during this. And then a while later, after I had a, a Guatemalan artist make the design, we put out the RFR shirt that if you're friends with me on Facebook or follow me on any social media, I'm sure you're sick of seeing that shirt because I plug it all the time to try to get people to buy them. And I think that shirt turned out really well. It has I, the R for... I have one. Yeah. Good man. Thank you much. In fact, every everyone out there, Mike Pingleton is one of the reasons why there's so many different color varieties <laughs> of that shirt. <laughs> I don't like black shirts. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, and I, no, that's good to know because I don't know anything about selling shirts. So, like, that was a good trial run of, like, okay, what do people want to buy? Oh, like well, green and olive shirts? Okay, I'll, I'll wear them, but I like I like to wear those shirts in the field. And there's nothing like a black t-shirt exactly. it to, sucks. to cook me yeah. oh, to medium sucks, rare. Oh, it for sure. So, well, um, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad you took it in the, in the, <laughs> in the spirit of which we, it was intended. We yeah. give the people what they want. Right. Um, but so those shirts have sold really well, and we've been able to raise a couple thousand bucks to send oh, them good. during this too. And along with helping the preserve stay running, we've been able to hire a biologist for the summer to spend three months down there looking for RFR to add to the uh, population monitoring study, as well as do general herp surveys. And through these these herp surveys that he's been doing, he's been living on grounds and, you know, surveying, you know, day and night as much as he can. And through that, we've got a lot of really exciting stuff coming out um we have the rediscovery of a species of uh I, i'm not going to say much about that until it gets published but we'll have a really cool publication coming out soon and some other little you know manuscripts well, and stuff coming out snake lizard frog what is it um well i'll tell you when the when the mics are up how about oh that? We're, we're keeping it yeah we're, we're keeping it secret. we're keeping it top secret it's right. and like the general public my or general i mean the general public's not listening to this you know what i mean the the general <laughs> herper public might be like oh that's you know they they might not be as excited about it but like when i got the photo i was i was jumping around like a psychopath i was so okay. excited so well, now yeah. you've piqued my interest okay cool cool so tell me uh before i get too far 
uh, Guatemala, the, you have a dry season, rainy season thing. What's what's going on with the with the uh, weather patterns? So, yeah, down so there? so it's it's similar to like southern Mexico and other parts of Central America, to where yeah, you've got a wet season and a dry season. In the cloud forest, it, if you've never been to the tropics, especially when you're in the cloud forest. As an outsider looking in, there's not much of a difference between the wet season and the dry season. The only difference is, like, rather than raining all day, every day, it just rains for a little bit each day. Yeah. Or, like, you might get a day where it only rains for an hour or so. Um, in the cloud forest, it just you, you can see the sun a little more often as opposed to just be, being constantly covered in this cloud fall. Um, and when you go down there, do you stay... Do you have a building you stay in, or do you stay in tents? Or so at at Ranchitos at the preserve, we stay in the cabins. Um, we okay, they have cabins. these really nice little cabins that have you know all the all the creature comforts, um, Central American style. You've got beds, you've got a, a bathroom and stuff. Uh, there are places that you can throw up a hammock, and there's there's hammocks that you can sleep in too. And there's these nice little not a veranda but like a pavilion things that you can camp in as well too but at this particular preserve we're, we're staying in the in the cabins which is nice at other parts yeah somebody cooks for you yeah so on site uh-huh. they have again because it, it runs as a little eco lodge too for for birders primarily and a lot of people from guatemala city just as a little weekend getaway to get away from the heat and stuff they'll come out there too and you know enjoy the forest but they have a they have a kitchen staff and like this last time that we were down there, by the end of the trip, the uh, women that were, you know, making the food, they knew exactly what I wanted for each meal every day, practically. <laughs> they were like, the, the big cool. gringo's coming. He wants <laughs> he wants this or he wants this. Yeah. But they have amazing food. Um, they have like a more typical menu of like the authentic uh, food for the region that includes like this really amazing. What do the Guatemalans call it themselves? Uh, like, like the Costa Ricans call themselves the Ticos. Ticos yeah, right? no, they just call themselves Guatemalans. Guatemalans? Yeah, okay. Guatemalans. All right, sorry to interrupt. Maya, the, Maya. Curious. Yeah, um, oh, de- cool. it depends on which part of the country you're in. Um, the folks that live in like the 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 arid thorn scrub forest, they have a particular name that they refer to themselves as that you know is indicative of like being tough and strong because they live in like some ah. of the most inhospitable habitat in the world. Yeah. Uh, but in general, yeah, they just they call themselves Guatemalans. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, in, in other places, like we'll either, uh, tent camp or, or, or hammock camp or say it biological, uh, stations, you know, that are, you know, a a little building up on stilts to keep you out from the the rain if there's a flood or whatever, but it, it, it it depends on where we're at and where we're going and stuff. Okay. Cool. And, uh, so how, what's the elevation there? Is it? So at Ranchitos, it is right around... Uh, let me do the math. From it's it's right around twenty three hundred. Oh, okay. Meters, I believe. Okay. So, wow. it's it's up there pretty high. Yeah. Um, there there's a variety of species that live at that elevation that are absolutely amazing. And you know, on the preserve, we've we've got the arfer, and that's the flagship species for the project. But I bet you have some cool glass frogs maybe oh yeah yeah right. so there's there's plectra hyla which are spike thumb tree frogs there's a couple different species oh, of those yeah. on grounds those are critically endangered um uh, like most of central america amphibian chytrid fungus did a, did a, a real oh. number on a lot of these high elevation amphibian species back in the day and a lot of these populations are still you know either, they're either wiped out completely or, or they're you know 
in recovery. Exactly. So Plectrohyla frogs, there's three or so different species of those on grounds. There's a couple different Bolticlosa, the palm salamanders on grounds. Oh, neat. Which the the first Bolticlosa I ever saw was Bolticlosa hemrechi. And it's it's the ugliest Bolticlosa there is. It's just like this tiny little ugly brown. For our audience out there that aren't familiar with that that term, we're talking about climbing salamanders. Uh, (laughs) Bolticlosa meaning mushroom tongue. Yes. Salamanders. Yes. Yeah. And there, the the genus has a ton of different species throughout Central America and yeah. ranging down even into South America. And they're they're awesome. That's that's one of my favorite. Some of them of are ugly. They look like bird poop, and some yeah, of them are ex- spectacular. Exactly. Yeah. And this this first one that I had ever seen, first of the genus, and it's one of the uglier species. It's just it's brown. It's just there's not a whole lot going on there. But I was through the roof with this thing because they're so cool. Um, they in have, other parts they of have the big Siri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got yeah, for sure. They got the big mustache. The, we've we've seen other species throughout Guatemala. We've seen Mexicanum um, and some of the other like really vibrant Odinelli that are they're like a reddish color with the yellow yeah. bands and blotches, and those are just absolutely amazing animals. And it's it's weird being from from the United States you know, when you think of a, a salamander, especially a salamander that you're going to see in a plant. Like it's cold and it's just it's different and then you go to central america and you'll be in lowland habitat where it's 90 degrees during the day yeah and these things are just hanging out at you know i'm sure you've you've seen similar ones it's 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 very weird and it reminds you how diverse caudates are just in general of like oh okay this thing lives literally on a palm tree (laughs) so they're yeah they're awesome i've never seen one on the ground i've seen them four foot off the ground three foot off the ground yeah and and usually in at night after a rain if it rains during the day you see that night, yeah. we'll see them. Yeah. We we were going to, I was going to do two trips to Guatemala this year before the COVID bomb hit. But there's the the biggest species, Bolticlosa, uh, Dolphini, lives in one preserve where we spent some time last year. And they get big. They can get around 12 inches or so. And at certain times of the year, they're, they're easier to find. But it's just, it's a big, impressive salamander. And we, we were in the habitat last year. We saw a lot of other cool species of salamander and frogs and some really cool pit vipers, but we didn't see any of those. But apparently they're a little little trickier. So hopefully hopefully the next time we go down there, I'd, I'd at least just like to see one in the wild and get yeah. photos of it and stuff. They're amazing. So you have birders come down there. You don't have many herpers show up there? Guatemala. So most American tourists that go to Guatemala, they are coming from Belize and they'll cross the border and go to some of the mayan ruins and then pop back across the border back into belize and go to their their fancy resort there's not a whole lot of tourists in general that go to guatemala um okay and we i'm raising my hand yeah yeah so we one goal of this is andres lee who is my one of my main him and pablo shout out to those guys i love you guys are the main collaborators and without them none of this is possible like basically like i what we're doing here in the state side, me and my guys here in the states, we're just we're doing what we can to get them the means to do their work. Without them, none of this is possible. And to get through the uh, the pandemic, yeah, and, and and to help get help them get through we all the need pandemic. A help get through for, the oh, pandemic. for sure, for yeah. sure. And so Andres, he leads eco tours anyway. Not many eco tours. There's again not a whole lot that have happened down there, but he's done a couple of eco tours. Um, but one thing that we would like to do is get eco tours going down there and then the funds made from these eco tours. And these wouldn't just be eco tours to 
the cloud forest to see ranchitos. We would tie in the lowland uh, thorn scrub forest where oh. the the beetle lizards live. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have all of my attention. Now. <laughs> we would tie in some of the. Coastal rainforest. I just want to point out that in cars and uh, cell phones across the world right now, little Scooby Doo ears. Went, <laughs> when you said uh, so, Guatemalan beetle. Lizards. Yeah, so Guatemalan beetle lizards. For anyone out there that that doesn't know what they are, is fairly you know not super familiar with them. They are depending on which taxonomy you go off of. They're either the rarest subspecies of beetle lizard or they're the rarest beetle lizard on the planet um it's heloderma chalibergarti uh the uh, us americans we pronounce all of our latin names really bad but like the uh the proper latin pronunciation is it, it's named after charles bogert but the latin uh name for these guys is heloderma chalibergarti but it's one of the rarest lizards on the planet uh, as well as one of the rarest beetle lizards they are darker in coloration than their relatives in Mexico, with the exception of the Alvarezzi that live in Chiapas. And they stay a little on the smaller side. And to to go to the preserve that is protected habitat for these, you again, you can't just show up. You have to be with a biologist or be a biologist and have special accommodations and whatnot. And that's one thing that if we do these eco-tours, um, that's a place that we would... Hit. There's some other really cool stuff there. There's a uh, cat-eyed snake that's really neat. There's a endemic iguana, a species of tinosaur that lives there. Um, is it colorful? Is it one of those? They're, they're not a really. They're not one of the uh, like the fensor, like the oh, ones you see in okay. Yucatan that have the red on them. But they're they're they are really cool looking. But al- along with the, the dry forest, you know, we'll go up into the mountains. We'll go to the coastal areas, and the, the idea is just to get a very good overview of the country and see a lot of different herps with in-country biologists that know their stuff and andres who's I like that idea yeah and and so i did that in cuba we, yeah when we went to cuba yeah, we, yeah. we had a uh tomas who was a local herpetologist and a brilliant dude who uh came along with us you know of course we he got we paid him and he came with us and um interpreted everything for us and uh Helped us find good habitats yeah, for yeah. things, and it was just it was fabulous. So, yeah. so that's the same basic concept, which yeah. I think is is great, right? Because yeah. you, you're giving these guys something to do. It sounds like you've already got some plans in the work when it works for this. Yeah, we so him and I have been talking about it, um, and again, he's already been doing some tours down there. So, like you know, just it, it'll be fairly easy to jump <clears throat> and you know do some more. Um, and one thing I want to throw out there is like, especially with young herpers, I know that no young herper wants to pay for a guided tour. They don't want to like, I don't know if it's a financial thing or if it's a pride thing, but like the, yeah. And the, the idea of, of, of like jumping on a guided tour and like paying people to help you find stuff it, you know, people don't want to do that. But like, if you're going to go to these areas you need to support the local people. You need to get with someone that knows what they're doing and can help you, you know, get by legally so you're not accidentally going into an area that you're not supposed to or handling a species that you shouldn't be handling because it's protected or something. Sure. You you got to get that that buy-in from the local community. It's so important for what we do, especially when when we appreciate these animals so much, we need to appreciate the local people that are working with them and working right. to try to protect them. And, so. and really, you know, they, they can be the difference between you finding 
10 things and you for finding sure. oh, yeah, yeah. 50 Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard horror stories of people, friends of mine, going to places and, you know, trying to be proud about it and not getting help. And they'll spend a ton of money in airfare and drive hours and hours and hours and see like two or three things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, I, have I, mean, learned, I have learned this lesson a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. That it's, it's absolutely worth your worth if you're going to spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars to go somewhere spend the money to find somebody who will help you exactly make that a worthwhile experience exactly yeah exactly. Yes. and it's, i think it's pride but it's also you know it's also a lot of a lot of young guys are they just don't have a lot of money for um, sure yeah no and i i get that too i young mean young people i should say because obviously yeah. we're we're out of the place where it's just all dudes when, when i say guys like i Guys to me, and I don't know if it's a local dialect thing, but guys to me is all encompassing of all genders. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so like that's yeah. that's what yeah, I fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, that's my little soapbox on that. But like yeah, hopefully that'll be happening sooner than later. We're we're hopefully gonna be doing a just as kind of a test run, be doing a tour to Costa Rica, you know, n- maybe next year, just to see how that goes, and then from there we'll jump ship and we'll, we'll start doing them in guatemala cool too and again that that is money that's going to go directly to the project and directly to our collaborating biologists well this is well. right up my alley because as you know i i also do for some, oh for sure yeah 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 tour stuff yeah i'll tell you what i'll uh, trade you an r for <laughs> for a muta how's that for a trade wow uh, no pressure there <laughs> <laughs> i i wanted the the i mean like it's it's not going to happen at this point but i wanted my first bushmaster that i would see in the wild to be a Stenoffries, but oh, at this yeah. point it's not going to happen. Yeah. So like I'll, yeah, if I could, you'll take what you can get. It, it, it's not even that like, you know what I mean? Like these, these are gods amongst the herp world. Like I just, I, I need to see a Bushmaster in the wild. Yeah, so I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might be able to help you with that. Problem. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do We'll do a nice tradesy. We'll work something <laughs> out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like the, I, that idea because, um, I don't get paid for what I, do yeah i just have i go herping in foreign yeah. country and i have fun yeah but it does support the local people right and uh, and that's we put people to work and, yeah and uh, that's that's really counts for something yeah and and that's basically the the same thing here like me doing the planning on the u.s side of things and getting people <clears throat> interested and like kind of coordinating things i'm not going to make a dime off of this it's just it's sure. money that's going to go to those leading the tours and the facilities and then back into this project at the preserve so cool and i mean that's, that's all love yeah that's that's well worth it to me i mean i along with like seeing these things in the wild and being able to do something to help them seeing other people get excited about them like it's it's one of the most you know it's it's addictive like after you see something and you freak out about it and someone else sees something that you know you're excited about too and they freak out and you help them to get to that point it's it's amazing yeah it's so. the whole i know right <laughs> exactly, I know, right? exactly. Yeah, a, yeah 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 so i'm i'm going to uh definitely keep in touch with you because i'm i'm interested to see how this turns yeah. out yeah and, yeah and like we, so we might many other people you, everything's on hold for yeah you know, at exactly. least a year so we, we might put you on a uh a mock trip and you know see if you have any because you've got experience with us see if you have any pointers for after we throw you through the ringer not only do i have experience but i also have the old guy perspective (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah you you know you might want to dial it down because i almost died (laughs) (laughs) 
that kind of thing. Hey, man, I'm I'm I turned 31 a few weeks ago. I'm 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 getting close to the old guy club, and I I did enough body damage and gray matter damaging as as a as a youth that like I'm getting there too. And I most of the, so my colleagues that are helping me with this organization stateside. One of the reasons I love herping with them is because, like, they are me, but, like, a few years younger, so they're still able to go, 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 and find stuff and do crazy stuff and climb trees and, you know, fall off of a ravine and, you know, almost break their leg and crack their skull in. And I can just kind of sit back and be like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, I, I definitely like herping with those guys. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's But it's, I, I'm sort of more like Marlon Perkins now. It's like, you know... <laughs> Yeah. Go get that. Yeah. Climb that tree. Yeah. While yeah. Jim rappels up the tapui, I'm going to collect some of the local butterflies. You know, yeah. nothing wrong with that. No, I mean you got to you, you got to play to your strengths, right? For sure, absolutely. My my strengths is I'm charismatic and can can convince people to go places and do things, so that works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. So. Where else are you interested in herp? I mean, just as uh, um, I mean, you have all these great projects going on at the zoo, and you have this this old personal conservation project. But what do you what do you like to do for fun, herp wise? Or what are you interested? In, you know, what what looks good to you in the future? So in the in the future, like talking between now and the time I die, I need to get into Iran, the rock vipers. So Iran. Everyone out there is familiar with the spider tail vipers, pseudocerasses, your arachnoides. Yeah. Every, everyone knows that snake. Um, and those are amazing. And in that genus, there's two other pseudocerasses species. There's field eye and persicus. And persicus, which is almost as cool, if not cooler, than your arachnoides, live in Iran as well. Um, there's a gloideus species, of uh, gloideus hales uh, caucasus, which is a pit viper. And that lives in Iran. So, like, you can go find uh, different rock viper species, which are true vipers, and then go find a pit viper basically in the same habitat, which is which is crazy. Oh, wow. Um, and then rock viper-wise, there are really unique Armenian vipers there. There's a subspecies that used to be con- formerly considered to be Albacornuta. There's some, uh, like, ar- rock viper-wise, there's... Different species of Armenian viper that range down into Iran, including formerly considered subspecies, um, Albacornuta being one of them, which is a really unique disjunct population of Armenian vipers. And then there's Latifi, uh, Montevipera Latifi, and then Montevipera Karangica, which is the, the most recently described of the rock vipers. They're, they're super cool snakes. I just The herpetology of, of Iran is, to, to me there's there's nothing better there's there's nothing cooler from a herp standpoint from a culture standpoint i'd love to get into iran someday under the obama administration it was looking a little better you know and americans were able to start going over there for for tourism and whatnot but here with the climate we have now it's it's back to you know back to square one back to square one so that's not going to be happening anytime soon um other than that i'd like to go into western turkey um there's a lot of yeah, yeah. There's, or sorry, sorry, Eastern Turkey, Western Turkey as well. There's really, you know, there's Xanthina and really cool stuff in Western Turkey, but Eastern Turkey is where a lot of the really cool Monty Vipera, the rock vipers, live, as well as some of the cool meadow vipers. Um, and I'd, I'd love to go there, even if not for like a professional standpoint of doing like field research. I would like to go just to go to go herping and see some of these different species in the wild. Yeah. Um, plus, uh, I want to go to Gobekli Tepe. 
which is the yeah, that's uh, like on the Syrian border, right? Yeah, yeah that so that's of, crazy for stuff. For those of you man. that don't know what Gobekli Tepe is, it's an ancient kind of a Stonehenge type archaeological site that predates agriculture. Basically, it was a uh, a bunch of uh, large stone monoliths and carvings and uh, the standing stones and yeah. whatnot that were uh, erected by hunter-gatherer yeah. communities, which is really, yeah, it, really it's, fantastic. And there's a lot of weird conspiracy theories that go into it. Like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, there, there's no way that hunter-gatherers would have had the time to to do these, you know, in, insanely intricate rock carvings, and there's no way we could do this even with the technology we have today and people get a little woohoo with it with like aliens and stuff. I also but... heard there was no way they could do podcasts. They just didn't have time. So. <laughs> they should have retired. I mean, that's <laughs> that was the whole secret right there. Yeah. But yeah, no, that would be amazing, man. Yeah, so um, I'd have to go there. Yeah, for sure. Uh but anyway, I digress. Yeah, and then J- Japan, I'd love to do Japan. I have colleagues over there that could help me See an Andreas in the wild, the giant Japanese salamanders, and then oh, the yes. the islands in between, like the the main islands of Japan and Okinawa, are filled with lots of really cool uh, protobothrops. Yeah, the the protobothrops, Tokarensis, and then in Okinawa there's Flavoviridis, and then you get down a little further south and you get protobothrops elegans. I'd love to see all those too. So. And you could also maybe make a little room for some lizards because they've got all those great cave geckos too oh yeah for sure yeah the gonies would be really cool japan like asiatic herps in general there's a lot of really cool stuff there but japan has so much stuff and it's all so close together i'd i'd love to make it there at some point that's that's definitely a bucket list trip and It'll, it'll, it'll happen eventually, hopefully. We'll, yeah. we'll make it. Those, oh, those are got ca- time. You're yeah. Not, you're yeah. not terribly. Oh, yeah, yet. for sure. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just cranking them out at this point. I, uh, those are my three big herp trips that I'd love to do at some point in my life. Um, you know, those, whether those are recreational or, you know, field work related, like I, it doesn't matter to me. I just, I would love to get to those places. And then there's still a lot of stuff here in, you know, the new world in North America that I want to get to. There's a lot of places in Mexico I want to check out. There's, you know, I, I still, you, you were at the Pine Barrens recently. I still haven't made it to the Pine Barrens. I'd oh. love to check that out. Um, Man, that yeah. place is cool. I, I, I want to go really bad. I'm a big Caulfield nut. So, like, I like anywhere that he's been, I want to I I went out. to a few spots that he yeah he wrote about. That's so, that's amazing, yeah. man. That's too cool. We're all... We're all stuck in the in the Caulfield curse. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to go wherever he went. And exactly. Say, I've exactly. been there. So. Exactly. Well, that's cool. And I, I thank you for taking the time to not only talk to me for an hour about some cool stuff, but taking another hour to talk to me <laughs> about some more cool no, stuff. No, thank, so. thank you, Mike, from, from myself for allowing me the opportunity to talk about uh, you know my 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 stuff um and then a big thank you from the entire herping community this you know we, we kind of touched on it before the mics came on but this is what we needed and you were the person that we needed to do it and it's phenomenal that you're making this podcast so thank you so much well thanks i, I really appreciate that yeah of course you know. 
it makes me feel better. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, some days it's like, oh, I can't take any more of this. Why am I editing Why? out all these burps and, <laughs> and curse words from these podcasts? Yeah. Actually, the curse words haven't been too bad. No, that's good. <laughs> Considering you're dealing with herpers, that is really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we settle. We, few, we can be on, our, on, our, on good behavior when we try. I yeah. Mean, you guys clean up pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've been on my best behavior the last two hours, so that's yeah. well. How about that? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll wrap up the show with that. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show and driving up here to Springfield, meeting me halfway, and of course uh, hanging out in this cool park with motorboats and motorcycles <laughs> and kids on swings and stuff. So. Anytime for All for right. anyone out there listening, um, if you would like to help with our Guatemala work, Mike, I guess we'll we'll post the links to where you can buy some shirts and do me a huge favor, uh, get on Facebook and look up the Highlands and Islands Conservatory and give it a like. I would really appreciate it as well as all the other guys associated with that organization. Yeah, I'll make sure that stuff gets in the thank, show notes. Thank you too, so much. So. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Herp love, right? Herp love. All right. Herp love, Way herp to love. Go, brother. All right. <laughs> That's it for episode 15. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Justin Eldon, for a great interview. And folks, please be sure to see the show notes for links to his projects. And there's also a link to products that help support the projects. So be sure to get yourself a cool t-shirt or coffee mug or an awesome Viper face mask. And if I see you wearing one, I'll know that you just don't have good taste. You've also got a big heart and you're helping to keep some great conservation projects moving forward and some dedicated people working as well. Just a couple more things before I go. You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com and you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And in the meantime, please take very good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>